Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving. Now, in season two, The Cannamom Show continues on its mission to empower women-centric cannabis businesses by sharing their stories with you. Go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back, and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. Well, so today, you know, I'm usually very cherry, but today the law nerded me and whatever the Jewish female human being is just so sad because I watched uh, RBG be brought into her state. I'm going to cry just thinking about it. Wow. Dave, are you having, are men having the it's same crazy okay. reaction? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, I, I don't think we could say it's shocking just because of her age, but that doesn't mean it. it's any less disheartening right and um from the legal from the legal community from a human community you know you're in this world so and how she's changed like really changed things for women through the law which is a nice thing to know that you can use the law productively absolutely and she was probably just part of her charm and her genius was that she was approachable i mean sandra day o'connor broke through the glass ceiling for the u.s supreme court but Maybe because it wasn't exactly the information age back then, or maybe because RBG was sort of a warmer soul. You've, you kind of felt like you knew her a little bit, you know? Yeah, so I used to say Sandra Day O'Connor was a relauncher like me. She actually took some time off and came back into the work world. And look what happened to her. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some, and then you never know. Justice and Gerber I, someday? No, Justice Gerber. But, you know, I'm a small Jewish lawyer. I like, <laughs> I relate to her. So. Yeah. And I love, and I didn't really talk about the Jewish thing. And they had a rabbi today who sang and gave prayers, and she just connected to so many people. And she was kind of an oddity, which is the coolest part about her, right? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, All right, but but you know, just um, full of energy right up until the end. I remember seeing a segment where RBG was showing Stephen Colbert her workout regimen, 
and Colbert was actually having trouble keeping up. Yeah, I imagine. Mm-hmm. All right. So I should have looked up what her stand on cannabis is, but I didn't have the heart this morning. So maybe during the show, we can pop in on that because we do like to talk about cannabis. Okay. So back to us today. So we're not going to talk about that right now. We're going to talk about stuff we like to talk about. So we're going to introduce our guest, who I'm excited is a Massachusetts person. I keep talking about bringing this back to the Commonwealth because I'm a Bostonian and I want to talk about cannabis here because I'm a local girl. So today's guest is starting a cannabis business with her son. I love that. The name of their company is awesome. Empress and Bandit Greenery, located, like I said, right here in the Commonwealth. But her journey with cannabis has not always been easy. Arriving as a 10-year-old to the segregated Boston, she grew up during the drug wars of the 90s. She lived through a lot, and she lost friends, and she experienced the distress of growing up under cannabis prohibition. Now she's the mom of three, and she's raising her family and building her business away from the center of Boston um, in another great city, Wista. She's currently waiting for their license. I think you're in your pre-license phase. We're going to go through that. And is excited to be a leader in Massachusetts, social equity, and cannabis. So please welcome to the Canna Mom Show, Jennifer Gaskin. And hopefully her son can find us. He's working, but he said he'd call in if he could get a break. So welcome, Jen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on in. So let's just start with the name of the company. I know it's a family project. So let's just talk about how the name came up and who it Who's the Empress? Who's the Bandit? <laughs> yeah, so um, Empress and Bandit, um, the name came about is because my nickname, probably from about, I would say, 17, 18, until now, has been Empress. Because? <laughs> um, I mean, I think, it, you know, in the Caribbean culture, in the, in the Rastafarian culture, we talk about a lot about, you know, being kingly or, or queenly. Hmm taking good care of yourself inside and out and spiritually. And so empress and emperor is a term that, that we tend to to throw around a lot. Like the I like that to make you all feel it's good. People yeah. Feel good it's about a, themselves. It's a term of endearment. Yeah, and like- so I think, you know, when I, when I started my journey with growing my locks, it was, you know, a, a name that was attached, attached to that. And my crew of ladies that I grew up with, you know, they used to term us the Empress ladies. Um, and yeah, t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> I actually met my husband in, in, in a club, the Caribbean Cultural Club on Blue Hill Ave. No long, it's actually a church now. They probably <laughs> do a lot of praying in there. Um, but that's, that's, I met my husband at a club too, but it was at the Matzah Ball. They turned Lansdowne Street. <laughs> this is true. They turned Lansdowne Street on Christmas Eve. Dave, did you ever do this? No, <laughs> I, I, was, I got married at a young age, so I, I don't think I ever actually attended the Matzah Ball, but um, <laughs> I know plenty of people who did, yeah. Anyways, that's funny. So I met my husband at a club too. That's good. Yeah, so I don't know. We I guess we got to edit the story that we... <laughs> about how we met but uh, yeah so anyways that that's kind of been my nickname for probably so that's empress and so who's the bandit so my husband is the bandit oh <laughs> so my husband's name is daniel and everybody calls him his nickname is bandit but they usually say d bandit right okay so and d bandit and i think you know that it, to loop it back to the to the cannabis conversation you know, growing up, my husband will say he's 43 years old. He'll say that he's been smoking for 40 years, which is probably an exaggeration. But <laughs> he's probably been smoking since he was about 14. Okay. And, you know, for older Caribbean people, they also ascribe to, you know, some of the misinformation that we know 
now is not true around right. and marijuana, et cetera. So growing up, you know, it was a hard position for him to be in. But he's op- was he always open about it? Was he one of the... He's ver- yeah, like my yeah. husband and my daughter has in- inherited the attitude, but my husband just really, you know, he is who he is. So I know we, you know, you grew up in Boston when you were, you came here the in a formative age into like the great era, but you grew <laughs> up in, <laughs> I lived here too. I, you know, <laughs> but you know, you came to America from a different culture. So, you know, you got a bandit, you got an empress, but how, just, can you talk a little bit so people get context of, you know, that was a big yeah, transition so, to come from where you came to, to where you were in Boston. Yeah, 90s so drugs. My yeah. family comes from Grenada. My husband's family comes from Trinidad. I was primarily raised by my dad's family, my dad and and his family. So my grandparents, my aunt um, and my dad. And so, you know, my my grandfather actually was not openly so, but he was pretty much a Rasta. Didn't have locks, but he was he was definitely a Rasta and ascribed to that, you know, perspective. So he was coming at it from that perspective. But my grandmother, um, you know, went to St. Cyprian's Episcopal Church in (laughs) in Roxbury Crossing, you know, every week. And, you know, she would drag us as children. <laughs> and so, you know, most of my family and, and my aunt actually was a Boston police officer for most of my life. She retired about five or six years ago. So most of, you know, my family unit, you know, was, you know, anti-drugs, anti, you know, marijuana, cannabis. So again, you know, me, I always, you know, growing up in Dorchester, Fields Corner, you know, I'm outspoken. Uh, I'm probably like, you know, what people would refer to as an alpha female. So I was always attracted to the... Uh-uh. Ruth was. We're good. <laughs> yes, she definitely <laughs> was. She definitely was. And so I, you know, kind of gravitated, unfortunately, to, you know, bad boys, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, so I, you know, understood and discovered, you know, cannabis in a recreational fashion very early on. So, you know, I was, you know, the the niece or the daughter that showed up at the family cookouts with the boyfriend that smelled like weed. And did you, so you, cause you know, cause you came from a culture that was, oh, there's, that's her and her son. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's actually how I met you. Actually, you can't see this. So we're on a podcast. So there's a great picture in the cannabis journal. What was it? Journal um, of Cannabis leaf. Culture. It was the, I want to say it was the summer edition of Different Leaf. Yeah, different leaf. So I got that in my yeah, different leaf. Definitely, I'll give a plug to them. Different leaf. We like you. So they <laughs> did a um, bunch of stories, and there she was. And I reached out to her because I haven't done a mother son story yet, and she's right here in Massachusetts. So that's a great photo. She looks beautiful. She's colored. Her son's got his hair <laughs> in the background. I'm terrible at describing things, but when you said she's wearing lots of bright colors around her head, and which is which is and, accurate to yeah. who I am as a person. But I had showed this picture to my granddaughter, who is Lewis's daughter. And I said, who is that? And she said, that's daddy and Mimi. So it, it actually does look like me because she was able to say it was me. It's a cool stylized photo. Of, yeah, definitely. Um, we so, were under COVID restrictions, so right. we couldn't actually take a picture. Okay. So they took pictures of us and then created like cartoonish. Right. There you go. So you, you, know, you come into this, so you do have a cultural background where people believe or understood understood cannabis in a very different way and you come to boston mm-hmm. where we you have a joint you go to jail plus all this uh, whatever right. you, all the segregation and i mean i lived here forever i've seen what happened to our city it's a very interesting discussion now talking about real estate and values and assets i mean this is a whole nother discussion but yeah now we so you, now we see dorchester on house hunters 
Yeah. So, but you know, transit or the transitioning neighborhood when you came in. And so you came into a very different culture. So did you carry any of that like reverential part with you or did you still sort of believe that it was still shameful and difficult, even though you're using it? I think that I became aware that it wasn't, you know, shameful probably in my, in my high school years, I am, you know, a huge fan of data and information and reading. So just, you know, seeking out my own information and really understanding the plant and then, you know, reflecting back on the things that, you know, I learned from my grandfather and from his friends around the plant really opened my eyes to, you know, what we were actually talking about and, you know, kind of the lies that we've been told. I definitely... Because it's considered like, how does it... It's medicinal, it's spiritual. How, how do you, you describe it? I mean, it? it's a plant, right? So... You know, it grows from the earth. You know, it's medicinal in nature. The U.S. government has a patent on that. So how can we then turn around and say, you know, this is a drug with, you know, negative impacts? We're not seeing people aren't dying from using cannabis. People aren't, you know, having addictive behaviors that lead to, you know, incarceration for other (laughs) reasons, thieving and, and things like that. Nope, nope, that's nope. not what we see with cannabis. So let's like kind of, okay, so you kind of, you grow up, you're a little bit of a rebel, who knows what was going on. Let's go to 2010. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fast forward. So 2010, what happens to you and how do you kind of come back into this world of cannabis? So in you, 2000- just to say, Jen is a very well-respected professional now. She held on to that little <laughs> bad girl thing. I don't know how long, but yeah, you wouldn't know now. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it's still, like I tell people all the time, it still pops up sometimes. So you, it, sometimes you might get Jenny from the block someday. Sometimes you need it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, you might still get that someday. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but yeah, in 2010, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, um, relapsing, remitting multiple sclerosis. I had given birth to my daughter in October of the prior year, and I lost, you know, essentially lost function in my left foot for from about October to March of the following year. It essentially felt like I had, you know, when your foot falls asleep, but I couldn't wake it back up. For a year, you didn't know why your foot was falling asleep? I had no idea. I had no idea. Luckily, I had an excellent primary care physician who really fought for me, got the right test, got me in right, of, right in front of um, the right people. So I actually was fortunate enough to be diagnosed fairly quickly. If you look at the averages of people getting diagnosed for multiple sclerosis or autoimmune disorders, it's usually five to 10 years. Wow. So this, I mean, this, is a, this, this is a topic that comes up constantly with women on my show. They, a lot of, a lot of multiple sclerosis, other autoimmunes, and mm-hmm. why are they so difficult to diagnose? Why are people suffering for because so long? Because sim- every individual's symptoms can be different. And the sim- symptoms range, you know, across a spectrum of things. And, you know, when I first went, I, I actually go to the um, MS center. And when I went, like some of the questions that they were asking me in the interview, it was like, why would you be asking me about that? I'm here about a neurological autoimmune disorder. But it's crazy the things that, you know, your body does in reaction to that. For example, I've been diagnosed for 10 years. My most recent relapse was a sensory relapse last month. And it was itching, extreme, severe itching Mm. on my bottom lower half of both of my legs. Like, why would I ever think that that was MS related? And even having been diagnosed for 10 years with MS, 
The only reason that we figured out it was MS related is because it started on a Monday and I happened to have my six month appointment with my neurologist the Tuesday morning. And I was saying to her how I was having this crazy itching and there was no rash. And that's how we figured out that it was MS. So if you are without a diagnosis, imagine, you know, like your relapses are stuff like, you know, itching. Why would you even go to MS as a diagnosis for itching? You had fleas in your bed. I don't know. That's right. Terrible. I'm like, did I, you know, I'm like, did I get bit by something? I'm looking all over for like my husband pulled out the magnifying glass and is looking at my legs because wow. That is a very strange. All right. So this, we could talk about this, but I'm trying to move in the story because we had a lot. We're only in 2010. <laughs> right. All right. So right. Did, we got we got 10 years. We got a lot go. of years to go. Um, so anyway, so you're you actually work in pharmaceuticals. But how did you figure out how did you figure out an alternative medicine? Because I again, my husband actually works for Biogen. So I hear about MS <laughs> pharmaceuticals yeah, all so, the time. So yeah, you know, exactly. I know this is one of the and, issues. And yeah. I'm not going to say, you know, that pharmaceuticals don't have their place. Um, They absolutely do. In the pharmaceutical industry, you know, we create, you know, targeted therapies like down to specific gene mutations to help people in all types of situations. So there is a place for pharmaceuticals. But I will say um, my son, Lewis, I literally would have to fight with him to take like Tylenol. Like he's not a pill taker. My husband, not a pill taker. So immediately, you know, when I shared with my son, Lewis that I had been diagnosed, he immediately started researching, you know, what things... He was like, what, 15? How old was he? He's, he was 15. He's 25. He'll be 26. So he found out his mom was sick and he actually... I love him already. I haven't even met him. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he... You know, the one thing I will say is that, you know, my, my children definitely, you know, take up for me and, and, you know, care about what happens to their mom. So... Yeah, he started researching and he started coming to me and and talking to me, not only for me, but for himself, because he actually was diagnosed around the same time with ADHD. Mm -hmm. So he started talking to me um, about cannabis, about the data, about it, how it could be used to potentially, you know, help me. But I'll be honest with you, it took me, I want to say a good five years. And where was he getting his information? He's a 15 year old. Oh, t- listen, it takes <laughs> more than we know about how to get information. It, my son, Lewis knows he's the king of random facts. <laughs> You'd be surprised what, what he knows. But, you know, they, they find the information. And even, even my now 10-year-old, which I frankly attribute with me getting my diagnosis, because if it wasn't for me, you know, being pregnant and having her, I probably, you know, would still be trying to figure out you know, what was going on with me. So when he was 15, was he telling you to smoke more weed or was that later? (laughs) So so the reason that a conversation came up was because he was growing a plant in his room. When I found the plant and I'm going in the room, like what in the world is this child growing in my house (laughs) and threw it away? (gasps) Yeah. He tells that story all the time. Cause I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, that was um, probably like get the seed, he like grew the whole thing and you threw it away. Yeah, he must have known. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, he, you know, and that's when he started talking to me, you know, about cannabis and what, you know, it could potentially do. So while you're doing, so you're kind of having five years, you're working, you know, you're in the regular, you're working, you're, you're using pharmaceuticals. Yeah, you, and I'm breaking you, using through every single one. So I broke yeah. through five different disease modifying drugs for MS. 
my last relapse, I couldn't walk for six weeks. Um, I didn't have the strength um, in my legs to stand up and support myself. But I was walking, you know, with a walker, going through physical therapy. Just to, to people know how old you are, you're very, you're young. I'm 43. Yeah. So you're very young going through this. Yeah. So, you know, imagine, you know, 30, 30 something years old and you lose your function to walk. And you have a baby, right? Yeah. Still, you know, my daughter was, you know, in kindergarten or preschool at that time, you know, and and I couldn't walk. So that's when I realized, you know, I have to do different things. I have to change. So I went through a whole transformation I would say, um, really considering eating. I've all I stopped eating um, pork probably 20 years ago. I still was eating beef at the time. I stopped eating beef, eliminated soda, you know, just eliminated a lot of, you know, highly processed stuff mm-hmm. and really started committing myself to, to improving my health overall, physically, exercising regularly those things. And that's when I really started looking at cannabis as a part of my overall health. Can I have a, so like when you were, when you were diagnosed with this at a very young age, are, are mm-hmm. your doctors approaching it as a holistic system yet? Or are they just saying, take so this pill, take that the, pill? The good, thing, the good thing I will say is that my physician is, is a younger, she's a younger physician. And, and because I go to the MS center, they tend to do a lot more research and, and understand you know, a lot more of the disease because they're specialized. So this is an open conversation that I've had on multiple occasions with my neurologist and she most certainly supports. And honestly, she's told me on more than one occasion that she actually learns from me. That's good to hear. Based on my journey um, with cannabis, she knows that she has many that utilize it. And she tries to, you know, obviously without disclosing, but you know, tries to use my personal experiences that I've shared with her, you know, to support her other patients that are use, utilizing. That, I find that encouraging. I mean, I have been hearing more stories like that, women who are really advocating and their doctors are listening to them, which I find because they don't really have time to learn about it. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, I think, you know, obviously the fact that I work in the pharmaceutical industry, yeah, give you some gravitas. That, you know, I, I understand and I can speak to her, you know, from a data um, and science perspective. Um, probably, you know, helps her to to understand or um, appreciate my perspective a little bit more. But I think, you know, us um, as all being, you know, cannabis advocates, because I feel like any of us that are consumers, it's our responsibility to be advocates as well. You know, we should speak out about our experiences, um, you know, and share that with people. I feel like there's a lot of people who could, you know, benefit um, from the plan if they truly understood the science and the data that supports it. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Amen. That's what I'm trying to do. That's why I have you here. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So 2015, did you actually start using it on your yeah, own so body? Yeah, so 2015, that I- actually, my, one of my nephews actually became a caregiver in Massachusetts. So he began to really work with medical patients. So he was able to talk to me about some of the things that he'd learned from different patients that he had been servicing as a caregiver. So it was two, when it, 2012, when was it medical in Massachusetts? <sighs> yeah, you're oh, testing well, my memory. I'm, I'm sorry. All right. So with, this, I'm trying to get I'm my I'm going to go with I have MS, so I don't remember. Yeah. So I'm just trying to give context. <laughs> I'm trying to give context. I should know this. Uh, 2016 is when the voters voted on adult use. So yep. you know, this, is, this is early on in the process of, you know, Massachusetts. Right. So this what is we're doing. when we're, st- we're first learning, mm-hmm. 
know, about medical use, about recreational use. And honestly, I would say, I feel like the majority of people who use cannabis recreationally are actually using it medicinally. Oh, I say this is a health and wellness industry. Everyone's got an endocannabinoid system. It works exactly. in you, whatever. It's all, exactly. just because it makes you feel good doesn't mean it's not medicine. It's like, it, we got to exactly. get over that. <laughs> it's and like, get past it. You know what I mean? Get past <laughs> the, the high part because some yeah. high part is part of the therapeutic part. I mean, in addition to having MS, I suffer from migraines. I have insomnia. Um, I suffer from anxiety and depression. And and I the only medication that I'm on actively um, is an injectable for my migraines. Other than that, everything else is managed through my, my cannabis use. Which is, so again, this is an endocannabinoid system. It's like the first line of defense. It's about inflammation. You know, it's about balance. It's literally exactly. about balance, homeostasis. So the idea that our bodies are out of balance for some, I mean, well, right now everyone's going in crazy, but you know, it's, there's stress and there's food and there's, you know, there's so many things that impact how we exist in this space. And cannabis is one of those things that helps. So again, it is, it's health and wellness. I just keep saying it. If I keep saying it, exactly. people start believing me. I think that that's, <laughs> that, you know, once we can get past that and really, you know, educate people and, and write the, the misinformation that has been part of all of our lives for, for the past, what, I don't know, years. 19, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of change. People are, are not really good at change, but I think, you know, as much as we can put that information out there and give our personal experience, I think it goes a long way. It's a story. All right. So you're feeling better 2015. I'm going to write, jump right to 2018. So yeah. <laughs> 2018, you're a professional woman, you're feeling better. And you're like, hmm, I want to go into cannabis. That's a good idea. How did that happen? <laughs> so my, and, like, and I, are you, are you like, son, he could grow yeah. stuff, right? Can you do that? Yeah, too? So you my a- son obviously, you yeah. know, started experimenting growing really early on. And so, you know, once, you know, the laws passed and then, you know, we were able to grow personally at home, you know, he started growing personally at home primarily for me, but, you know, we started having plants at home and he started experimenting, you know, learning more about the cultivation process, learning more about- So this inside or outside, where is he growing? So we've done, we've done both inside and outside grow. I think, you know, as we all know in New England, uh, outside grow season is, is pretty condensed for us. So it makes, um, you know, much more difficult to have a good harvest on an outside grow not to say that it can't happen it definitely does happen so that, i need to have him back because okay so i tried to grow plants this summer it's i think oh. i dwarfed them i don't even know what happened but you gotta talk you gotta talk can, to can i bring him um, inside can i just bring him inside as little plants like yes, little house can. plants yes, oh i can? can bring them inside okay do i have to get a, like lights and filters and things or can i just uh, yeah, like house so lights uh, typically you know what our home setup looks like is a tent lights and then we have like a, a fan filter thing to you know, exhaust. All right. I'll talk to him later. Okay. We and, can move and on. Depending <laughs> on what stage it is in, it gets really, really hot in the tent. Um, so you have to be able to exhaust the tent. Although I have seen people grow, just, you know, grow. Can I just bring them inside and like water them like a plant? And, like, I was just going to say, I have seen people be successful and do that as well. Okay. That's what I want to do. I do not want to set up a place Honestly, in my house. <laughs> cannabis right. plants are very hardy plants. Especially right? Because. Yeah. All right. So that's going to be my experiment this summer. I'll talk to him later. Okay. Sorry. People. Sorry. I got distracted. 
<laughs> so 2018, yeah, so 2018, we're growing. Lewis is perfecting his craft. He says to me, Mom, you know, we should think about making this a business. And you've lived through criminalization. Like you've lived through like the hardcore, you know, really bad right. stuff. Like, and the funny thing is that I honestly didn't realize that my son's seen it too. Like mm-hmm. I realized that Lewis had seen it too, probably until a couple of months ago, we were having a conversation and he talked, was saying to me how he had got off the bus. This is when we still lived in Boston, that he had got off the school bus and he saw somebody get robbed for a 20 bag of weed With, by, at gunpoint, no less. So well, he's hard too. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, hard. I, I, That's hard. Oh my I hate yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I didn't. Mm. But, you know, he came to me and he said, Mom, how about we try to do this? Okay, so you're like, First, okay. I'm like, mm, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. You know, and then I started researching a little bit more and learning more about the need for equity in the industry. The need yes. for more Black and Brown entrepreneurs to get into the space and mm-hmm. level the playing field. Because... When you have people, minority backgrounds that that lead in organizations, then that just becomes part of our, you know, overall DNA of the organization. And you just push for, you know, diversity and inclusion because that's just, you know, who you are as a person. Um, So I saw the need and then I attended, you know, an event. I, I think the title of it was Business of Cannabis. And I went into that. And I was probably one of three people in that room that looked like me. Mm. Um, and so when I left that event, um, I came back and I called Lewis. At that time, he had he had moved out of my house. <laughs> so I had to call him. That um, happens? Good to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They do, leave, they do leave. Although I will say, I think that that was probably um, at the urgent urging of his girlfriend. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you call him. Yep. You're like. So I call him and I'm like. Let's do this. And he's like, you know what, mom? You know I'm 100% on board. So let's tell them what this is. I have not even talked about what it is. Oh, All right. Yeah. So let's so actually talk is, about what. Okay. Um, the Empress and Bandit. Empress and Bandit Greenery LLC. And so we are a micro grow manufacturing and production. Like you said, we're in pre Um, We just had our community meeting in our community that we're hoping to um, move to, which is um, going to be Templeton, Mass. And so now we're in the um, position to negotiate our host community agreement with Templeton. And then, you know, hopefully, you know, that license and, and you know, moving forward from there. I know there's been a, a lot of challenges, especially in social equity and economic empowerment applicants um, getting their licenses through the process. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about regularly is capital and raising capital and having capital. It's always about the money. Yeah, it's always about the money. Yeah. You know, to get through this process, not even, you know, not even looking at, you know, startup, et cetera, just getting through um, the licensing process in Massachusetts is extremely, extremely challenging and the, the being burned in this process where we're not even able to sell a single, you know, eighth of, of cannabis and recoup any of this money, this money is just going out. 
It's, and, it's, it's, I, I do call it extortion. I don't know. I, these, I, I mean, these, these, I know, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hyperbole. I was at a lawyer's meeting for cannabis attorneys last year, I think. And these host agreements, just the way they're set up they in Massachusetts, they they're like, you, the lawyers are saying, don't sign them. But if you don't sign them, you can't get the you agreement, which means you can't get the um, license. Exactly. So, and then the idea exactly. that you're, you're maintaining rent on these properties that have been escalated and you exactly. kind of know it's very backwards. I don't know. It's, it's very backwards. And when you're dealing with communities, like there was a Boston Globe um, special la- last year where they did a series and they talked about net worth and, you know, black. Um, oh, this number is stunning. Their net worth is $8. $8. But we're trying to create an equitable industry where black and brown people can participate. How can black and brown people participate when we're talking about a million dollars up front, just even before you get to license? And, and this actually, I was like, right before I got on the show, NPR, one of the GBH was doing a, a radio show about, you know, real estate values in these, again, from your neighborhood. So these neighborhoods in Boston that were devalued for a lot of complicated, well, not complicated, racist reasons, really. They were literally redlined. Right, right. Not complicated was, Not at complicated all. at all. So anyways, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a Jewish person who's, you know, my relatives lived in those neighborhoods, but they were scared away, like scared away, which is so weird. Then we took all the resources out of these communities and then we devalued all the property and then we blamed the people who live there because their conditions were bad. Mm-hmm. And then that, that creates a cycle because if you don't understand how real estate value works, especially for the 50s and the 60s in this community, especially in Boston, my parents' wealth was built on the fact that they had a house. Exactly. My wealth. And that's how you get loans and that's how you... And if you go... And this so the story was literally about how these black families, no matter where they live, one of the communities, if you de-black, this is how they described it, de-black the house, the value, the assessment value went up significantly. Yeah. So, so this idea that, yeah, it's very cyclical. So, whatever. So, this is a value issue. This is like people living in communities who didn't have assets to start businesses, like right. Like this. So, how do we, you know, how do we create an equitable industry if the industry is pay to play and we don't have the money to pay? So, how are you financing it? So, what I will say is that you know I have been fortunate, you know, in terms of my career you know, building, you know, building that financial foundation. I also have to definitely, you know, give thanks and be very grateful to my father that, you know, he talked a lot about, you know, finances, saving your money, you know, and ultimately this Friday will actually be the five-year anniversary of my father's passing. But, you know, ultimately, you know, at the end of his day, you know, he made sure that, you know, he left, something from me exactly, um, you know, and from my children. Right. Which is supposed um, so to be the American really dream. Where it comes right. from. So when right. I say that, you know, we are putting everything on the line to do this, we are putting everything on the line, you know, to do this. But you're, yeah, I mean, I, I keep hearing this story and the, you know, the, I just don't think people understand how expensive it is and what the burden is on people to get this industry growing, which we know is growing. This is one of those industries that's actually working. And once you get into this community, you're building jobs, you're creating the foundation of a new industry. Like this is, yeah, this is amazing what you're doing. So it's hard. It's hard. I'm very impressed that you're going forward. Okay. So just kind of spinning back to you. So you actually work for an Israeli pharmaceutical or is that true? 
Yeah, that's true. Okay, so, um, so I always talk about Israel being so far ahead of the curve on this they issue. They are so far ahead of the curve when it comes to uh, actually the president, the company that I work for, actually judged a um, young inventors, you know, competition in Israel, and the winner of that was actually a cannabis um, company. Um, of course, it's actually been featured on. I don't know if you watch Vice, but on like two chains show about most expensive things or whatever and you know have built a little bit of a following here and and this in the states you know after winning that but you know israel is doing the research mm-hmm. you know and they're using it in a medicinal way the industry yeah and they yeah it's just there's like generations ahead but we can do this i don't know we can do this I, i'm i'm like we eternally hopeful why not we can do this we're wicked smart here in boston we can do that and i mean i think the thing that the thing that this industry has neglected to realize is or some people in this industry neglect to realize is that you know throughout all the years that cannabis was illegal it was really the black and brown people who were cultivating it Mm-hmm. Oh, when you talk about work experience, who has more work experience? Exactly. So, all right. So on that note, we're just going to take a break. My friend, Jennifer Gaskin of Empress and Bandit Greenery. We were waiting for our son. Maybe he'll show up for the last five minutes. I don't know. <laughs> He's here in spirit. We're talking about, okay, I am going to come back on the other side. I have a favorite thing kind of this week. And then we're going to finish up our conversation. We'll be back in a minute. Hi, this is Amy from Hip Lives, an online virtual community with admissions surrounding health in progress. Our Plants Not Pills holistic approach to health aligns you with support, education, products, and specialists through our resources and foundation in, well, you guessed it, cannabis. We also have other natural health solutions too for living your life with your health in progress. So that's why it's Hip Lives. And we're especially excited to collaborate and share our space with our friends at the Cannamom Show. Aligned in the core message, we invite all of you to visit hiplives.com and listen to host Joyce Gerber as she dives deep with Cannamoms each week who share their stories and attest to the healing powers of cannabis. Tune in to season two of the Cannamom Show and join the community at Hip Lives to embrace the culture. Also, join me as your new co-host on the Cannamom Show, where Joyce and I spearhead the airwaves in a North American takeover, from her roots in the U.S. to my voice here in Canada. Woohoo! Cannamoms unite! And we promise that's not all you'll find, is you too can get involved, access our support and strategy to business services, align with our brand partners, and truly benefit from the space where holistic lives are shared. Hope to see you there. All right, we are back with my friend Jen Gaskin of Empress and Bandit Greenery. But before we finish up our conversation, I just wanted to talk a little bit about, well, I'm going to call it my favorite thing, although it's not really a thing. It's a thing I'm making. So anyone who's been listening or has been following me, you know I'm a quilter. I make masks and whatever. But I've had this idea of making the women of cannabis quilt for a while. And I tell lots of people, but nobody really believes me, I guess, but I have gotten three t-shirts. So I know you can't see them, but my friends who are watching, my podcast friends who are here, Dave Dave and Jen can see them. So I'm going to hold up the three I made. And then when I ask for you, if you're listening or you're going to be a guest or I don't know, DM me and um, I'll get you, you know, figure out how to get me a t-shirt and you can be part of my cannabis, women of cannabis quilt and oh, I don't know what I we're going to do with it. Send you. I will Jen's joining. <laughs> All right. One minute. I'm just going to turn around and chat amongst yourselves. Be right back. <laughs> so, All right. 
Oh, I was quicker than You're I thought. You're back All already. Right. Okay. Back already. I was like very prepared. So my first one is from Moon Mother, Jessica Bate, I think is her last name. She was here last year. She sent me here. It's very cute. Very cute. Flowery. And flowery and pretty. festive, yes. And I've noticed a lot of, well, two were black. So I was trying to find something bright. And I was, I actually say I was sort of not inspired, but the fires in um, Portland, in Oregon, all my friends out there, I have a lot of Facebook, Instagram friends out in the West Coast now, mostly on Instagram. They were posting these like just horrific photos of huge hemp yeah, farms. The fo- I mean, and, and I, I love the West Coast. I love California. I love Colorado. And they just have, I mean, it's just. Yeah. So, but it was the, what that struck me was the, the color. So the green hemp and then behind it, this orange blaze. So it kind of inspired me to do green and orange, which so I found this kind of cool fabric. And this is from my friend Ellen Rosenfeld from Comcan. She was on the show last year. So that's very hers. cool. I, yeah. that. I love Comcan. Oh, I, yeah. I, I love right her. Here in uh, Southboro. Oh, she's there too. Yeah. So she, I think she was probably one of the last shows I did in studio, maybe. And she's out there. And I brought my mom, actually, my mom did a show and I brought her out to Ellen's dispensary and the Grove facility. And I still can't convince my mom that this isn't like a dangerous drug. Swear to God. <laughs> well, you know, there's hope. Because like I mentioned earlier, my, my aunt, the 30th veteran of the Boston Police Department, um, now oh. she has sciatica and, and whatever else. And so I've actually gotten her. All right. Well, there's still hope. All right. And this is my last one. So this is from Melissa, my first guest, Melissa Whitley. Hers is actually, her brand is always heavy, always fire. So I thought this. Ooh, I like that name. <laughs> Let me see. Make it back up. I'm going to back it up. Can you see it? Yeah, I can see oh, it. Oh, is that Hebrew on there? Yeah, because it, it's called Muzzle Tough Farms. That's all. That's from our, our friend at Muzzle Tough Farms. Yes. She's she's a, she's a Jehovah's Witness. She's black and she married a Jewish person and converted. I just love her. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you too could have a quilt on my, you know, think of it like, I don't know. No, I'll definitely send you a t shirt. Okay. I want to be on the quilt. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Jen, a couple more minutes. I'm actually going late. Sorry. I know you're involved with cancer patients and cannabis. Is that something that's going to be yeah, part of your so process? From my, quick- you know, from my work in the pharmaceutical industry, I've worked in the oncology space for probably the past 10 years, I would say. Um, you know, what I have seen for the, the cancer patients that do consume cannabis, whether it's you know, utilizing RSO or utilizing, you know, edibles or even flour, you know, to support them through the process. You know, a lot of people, when they think about chemotherapy, they think about um, just nausea and lack of strength, which obviously we know that, you know, cannabis can support that. But even beyond that, there's a lot of pain that can result from the various, you know, cancer treatments. Peripheral neuropathy is a, is a big one that cancer patients typically can, can have as a result of chemotherapy. And cannabis is extremely effective at, at that. Um, I'm sure most people know the story of RSO and, you know, curing skin cancer. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's very important. And you can literally walk into an infusion center which patients are using cannabis which versus oh, really? Yeah, because they look better. <laughs> oh, I get you know, like you're they're more healthy. They, you know, are maintaining, you know, a healthy weight. They're usually, you know, much more 
energy, you know, throughout the process. And they're usually able to maintain some normalcy in their daily routines as well. So you can, like, I, you know, have walked in and have asked people because I'm like, you look great. What are you doing? What else are you doing? Okay, so this is literally the opposite of what I grew up believing. So again, health and wellness, cannabis is healing people because our bodies are built for it. I mean, it's not just making, you know, helping middle-aged women sleep. It's helping cancer patients get through their chemotherapy. Exactly. All right, this is a big conversation. All right, but I don't have any more time. Oh my God, Jen, I'm sorry your son couldn't join us, but we'll put him up on the website too. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) you know, we shout out to you, you know, Louis Nathaniel Dennis. (laughs) So uh, what do you have a timeline for your greenery? Do you like have hope? Um, so we're hoping to um, have our application um, into the CCC by the end of next month. What we have seen or what my lawyer has seen is about for one of her prior cl- other clients, about seven months um, in the application queue. And that client was without preference, which we have preference as a minority owned business. So hopefully cross our fingers, you know, Q2. 21, you know, we should be operational. We are, like I said, Empress and Bandit Greenery. It's ebgreenery.com. And then we're at ebgreenery508 on Facebook and um, Instagram. All right. So that'll be in the show notes too. All right. So thank you, my friend, Jen. Thank you for joining us. Have a great rest of the afternoon. Thank you for um, having me. Very welcome. Um, I can't for- wait to get to see my piece on the quilt. Oh, yeah. This ought to be like a story on my Instagram. I don't know. I'm getting better with social media. Thank you, Janice, for joining us today, talking about social media for my Canabro, David Yaz. We might be having a new special guest in October. Keep your ears open for that. Teaser. Uh, Teaser. A little Mm -hmm. teaser there, people. I want to thank Josh Lampkin and Bella Jaffe for writing and performing the Canamom theme music. Did you all listen to Lullaby last week? It's really good from their um, band, Blame Jane. Mm-hmm. And great especially, tune. great tune. It was a great Last tune. Good for, good for moms. Lullaby. You can play it for you. My <laughs> friend described it as a warm hug over the internet, and she was Ooh, having a bad day. That sounds awesome. I'm gonna have to look into that. My, like I have a son too that I'm kind of proud of. He's the he's a musician, so he's been helping me with this. So shout out to Josh, and I love my daughter too, who doesn't want to have anything to do with this. So I'm not gonna embarrass her. <laughs> And did I thank you too for taking the time to listen to the Cannabis Show, where we are talking about caring for and giving voice to women in the emerging cannabis industry, one canna story at a time. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Follow me. Follow Jen on social media. Listen to the Cannabis Show. I am Joyce Gerber. This is the Cannabis Show, and we are a production of Pod Six One Seven, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.